Locked On Podcast Network and Odyssey present Locked On Today. The Toronto Raptors will skip the play-in and go right to the playoffs. The Bulls are ready for a playoff run of their own without Lonzo Ball. Plus, what on earth are the New Orleans Saints doing? I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the stories you need to know and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Every year, we overuse this idea of the team in the playoffs that no one wants to play. Usually, the best team wins. That might not be true this year. The Toronto Raptors, no one in the East wants to play them. They take care of the Atlanta Hawks on Tuesday night to clinch their spot in the postseason. They sit now 46 and 33. Joining me now from Locked on Raptors, Sean Woodley and Sean. This team early in the season, it was like, oh, this is a cute story. They're a scrappy team. Now they look like a team that if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, the Miami Heat, you're going, we got to play this team in a best of seven. That sounds terrible. Yeah, they're a nasty team to go up against, man, and they're weird. They're so weird. They bring three <laughs> bigs off the bench, sometimes four, depending on if they're fully healthy and have their full small ball starting five available. Uh, you know, Nick Nurse will throw out wild defenses. I mean, this is a guy who used a high school defense in the NBA Finals against Steph freaking Curry, and it worked. <laughs> like, this is a team that's not afraid to try things, not afraid to look foolish and look stupid, because oftentimes they're going to make the other team they're up against look pretty foolish and stupid when they throw all this stuff at them. They're just like, what are we supposed to do with this? So, yeah, uh, I think the title of team no one wants to play in the first round, like, there is a badge of honor to having that, I think. And I think it very much suits the Raptors. And I think, you know, it's not a surprise. We've heard the insiders around the NBA, you know, talk. Oh, we've been texting our executives that no one wants to play this Raptors team. I think that's for good reason. Like they might not win a first round series against one of the four heavyweights of the East, but they're certainly going to make life miserable and perhaps take enough out of whatever team that is to rule them out of potentially making a long run into the NBA finals. What has what has been their calling card other than they're just really weird that could also <laughs> suit them well in the postseason when the game changes a little bit? So I think the answer to that question is Pascal Siakam, who mm. I think at this point, I think the sort of the narrative around him is now shaping into, oh yeah, maybe he should be on the All-NBA team. And if you've watched him all season long, I think it's pretty clear he's playing at an All-NBA level. It might not, you know, the math might work against him, he might not get on, but he's played that well. And a thing I've talked about on my show is that he's been under such difficult circumstances this season because as weird as the Raptors are, they don't have a ton of spacing. There's not a lot of shooting. Like I said, like he often plays with three or four other bigs on the floor with him. And he's often the, 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 the sole target of opposing defenses. He's been doubled, I think, near the top of the league. Uh, it might not be exactly number one, but he's certainly top five in the times he's been double teamed. And he's still put together a really impressive, efficient season that's been excellent on both ends of the floor. And it's been against those really difficult types of defenses that you see in the playoffs. So I kind of think his playmaking can translate over. And if he can be your engine and you can have Fred Van Vliet catching and shooting, Scotty Barnes finishing, you know, you know, dump offs around the rim. You've got Gary Trent Jr. and OG Ananobi are both 40% shooters. There's a recipe here for the Raptors defense to feed into its offense and for Pascal Siakam to really be the guy around which that offense is centered and to have some success because he, he has done it against all sorts of defenses, double teams, single teams 
teams, you know, great individual defenders, matchups he can go and, and, and attack. It's been a, a full-scale assault from Pascal Siakam ever since really like December 28th is kind of when he got back from COVID. He's been fantastic since then, and I don't envy any opposing coach that has to game plan for him because he feels close to matchup proof right now with the way he's played. Thanks for making Locked On Today your first listen. Coming up, the Bulls are in the playoffs, but will have to make their run without Lonzo Ball. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. The saga that is, the LA Lakers have been eliminated from the postseason. This is Andy Kamenetsky, co-host of the Locked on Lakers podcast, and the Lakers lose 121-110 to the Suns in Phoenix, and by virtue of this loss combined with San Antonio's win over Denver, the Lakers have been officially eliminated from play-in contention, which feels absolutely insane to say, but this is where we are, kids. Um... It was a competitive first half for the Lakers, playing without LeBron James, still dealing with that problematic ankle. Anthony Davis, 21 points, 13 rebounds, a block and a steal, 28 for Russell Westbrook, 18 points for Austin Reeves off the bench, but the third quarter just completely got away from the Lakers. In particular, there was an onslaught from Devin Booker, and it did not take long for it to truly sink in that the Lakers were not going to pull out the miracle of miracles, and there was just no chance they were going to stave off elimination, to put it mildly. The Cavaliers have dug themselves into quite the hole heading into a play-in tournament appointment. Hey, Chris Manning here from the Locked on Cavs podcast. After the Cavs just lost to the Orlando Magic, and what is a bad loss? There's no other way to spin this. There's no other way to talk about this game other than it was a bad loss for the Cavs who needed this one. With this loss, the Cavs are just a half game up on Atlanta in the playoff standings. It seems more and more likely that they're going to slide into the ninth or the 10th seed have to navigate winning two games in the playing tournament to make the playoffs. Yes, they have injuries. Yes, you could cite a bunch of other excuses, but the Magic are bad, are tanking, and the Cavs lost and looked listless. They looked lack, lacking energy. They looked like a team that didn't really have motivation to win this game, quite frankly, and that gets you a loss. That gets you, cost you a win you needed with very little time left to maybe sneak into the back end of the playoffs here. It's a bummer end of the season with the way it's heading, but injuries have taken a toll, all of that stuff. But overall, this is a bad loss, and the Cavs probably should have won this one. Benefiting from the Cavaliers' downfall, the Brooklyn Nets, who now look like the seventh seed in the East, despite a roller coaster season. Doug Norrie, Locked On Nets, here coming at you on a night where everything actually broke Brooklyn's way. That has not been the theme this season. Far from it. A season that has at times felt like it's off the rails, at times felt like some of their own doing, at times felt like bad luck. On tonight, Tuesday, things actually broke all in their favor. They beat the Rockets, so that's a big one. But then the other three play-in teams, Charlotte, uh, Atlanta, and uh, Cleveland, all lost. And now the Nets control their own destiny to move into the seventh seed. They have to win out. They have to win the final three games. But this was the first step in starting to secure a playoff berth that was starting to look a little bit tenuous. And the New York Rangers seemingly righted the ship in a win over the New Jersey Devils. Hey, what is going on, hockey fans? It's John Chick of Locked On New York Rangers. The Rangers just a couple of minutes ago wrapping up a very solid 3-1 to road victory against the Devils 
in New Jersey. The Rangers uh, bounced back from having lost their two previous games. And I thought the theme tonight was kind of righting some wrongs and most specifically team defense. Uh, team defense, I'd say something about the Rangers team defense against the Flyers, but they didn't play any defense against the Flyers. And they really tightened things up tonight. Only one miscue early in the game prevented the Rangers from possibly getting a shutout. So it was really nice to see the Rangers just get back to basics, tighten everything up defensively, and really li limit the Devils' scoring chances. The few times that they did get scoring opportunities, Alex Georgiev was usually up to the task. Uh, he wins his fifth straight game for the Rangers, so he's really turned it around after you know going through a, a rough stretch there. And got to give some shout-out to Chris Kreider as well. He scores on the power play, now has 47 goals in the season, including 25 on the man advantage, which is a new franchise record for the New York Rangers. What else can you say? Just having an absolutely unreal season is Chris Kreider. He goes from never scoring 30 goals in his career to maybe getting 50 this season. And Ryan Strom, really good to see him back into the lineup as well. We finally get a chance to see him play with uh, Panera and Kopp. All three of them are finally, uh, you know, all healthy and available, and that should be the second line for the Rangers going forward. So a lot of positives to take away from this game. Here's what to look for on Bet Online, your number one spot for all of your daily gambling needs. Before everything gets started tomorrow morning, let's look at some odds to win the Masters per Bet Online. John Rahm and Justin Thomas both have the shortest odds at 11 to 1 to win the green jacket. I got JT at 13 to 1. Here's a look at some other notables Cameron Smith, 16 to 1, Dustin Johnson, 18 to 1, Brooks Kepka, 18 to 1, Jordan Speeth, 25 to 1. That's tasty. Will Zalatoris, 30 to 1. And of course, LT great Tiger Woods, assuming he tees it up, and we think he's going to. 45 to 1, bet online where the game starts. Here is another story you need to know. On Tuesday, we found out Lonzo Ball's season in Chicago likely over, and then the Bulls went out and did something that they have done a lot to the Milwaukee Bucks lately. 16 of the last 17 meetings, they have failed to beat Milwaukee, including on Tuesday night, 127. 106 joining me now from locked on bulls it's hayes and hayes this lonzo ball news is tough but they still have to go compete in the postseason how does this change their outlook i mean i think the good thing is is that they've played almost 40 games now without lonzo ball so um they kind of know who needs to step up and win and and how to play without him right now um, it's still it still stinks, right? It's it's not good. You you know, our defense is taking a big hit without Lonzo being in there, as well as our three point shooting, just what Lonzo does and you know, his basketball IQ, uh, what he does in transition, all those things are drastically missed on this team. Um, so as they prepare for the playoffs, and luckily we did lock in a playoff spot tonight with the Cavs losing as well, is that you know, they they there's no one on this on this team who can who can give you exactly what Lonzo Ball gave you. So they're gonna have to play different. Um, but you know, the thing with the bulls is it's, it's been something all season, right? Between our, the COVID outbreak at the beginning to the injury, uh, stretches that we've had, um, the next man up mentality has been big on this team. Um, even though it seems like we were running out of a bit of a steam here down the stretch, but <laughs> you know, I mean, trying to look at, at the bright side is the bulls first time making the playoffs since 2017. Um, and so there's, there's more positive to take from it than, than not overall with this season, but Man, does this suck. It's, it stinks, to just be honest with you. Right now, to add insult to injury, if the if the playoffs ended today or started today, mm -hmm. it would be the Bucks in the three and the Bulls in the six. As I mentioned, 16 of the last 17, the Bucks have won. I have to imagine if I asked you to pick a, a first-round opponent, Milwaukee would not be the opponent. Who would it be? Uh, it would be Boston. 
I think I like the way mm. the Bulls match up against Boston. I know they've been playing some of the best basketball yeah. since the, the All-Star break, but especially with uh, Robert Williams out um, and what he be- means as the defensive anchor to that team, I think that, you know, it, it, it'll give the Bulls the best opportunity. I don't know if I'll still pick the Bulls, if I'm just being honest, to come out of that series, but you know, considering what Joel Embiid has done his whole career against the Chicago Bulls anytime he plays, to like you said, our that we don't match up well against Milwaukee Bucks. I think Boston would be the uh the first round opponent that I would pick if I had to have the choice between the three of those. Interesting. Why not Philly? Because I, I assumed for everyone below the four line, mm-hmm. th- those teams are like, please let us get Philly. Please let us get Philly. It's mainly just Embiid. Like, Embiid owns the Chicago Bulls since he's been in the league. <laughs> um, and while I do think that the the trade has made Philly a little bit easier to guard, especially if we had Lonzo, I would probably would have said Philly um, because I like what he does against Harden as, as far as matchup-wise. But, you know, Embiid is just – as much as Giannis is the Bulls killer, <laughs> Embiid is that too. So that it's it's strictly just Embiid and why I, I don't want to face Philly, but it may very well end up being that. Coming up, still looking for a quarterback. The New Orleans Saints made a trade. Okay, they have Jameis. For some draft picks, what is going on in the Big Easy? Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar, the best tasting protein bar ever. It's the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. And if you haven't tried the Built Puffs yet, what are you waiting for? It is protein-infused marshmallow. They're fluffy. They're marshmallowy. It's not just a protein bar. It's a treat. And it's covered in 100% chocolate. 100% chocolate. And yet, check the macros. Low in, low in fat, low in calorie, high in fiber, high in protein, low in net carb. And they taste delicious. They are the goods. Check them out for yourself. Do yourself a favor and check them out. Really, I'm telling you. Go to Built.com and use promo code LOCK15 to get 15% off. Promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off of the best tasting protein bar ever. The protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. The protein bar that I had for a snack today. I have them almost every day. They're delicious. Go to Built.com. Agree or disagree? This is the Q of the day. This is becoming an annual tradition, apparently. Blockbuster trades three weeks before the actual NFL draft. The Philadelphia Eagles and New Orleans Saints have shaken up the 2022 NFL draft. The Saints giving up the 18th pick, the 101st pick, and the 237th pick just for good measure, plus their first next year, plus their second in 2024 to get the 16th pick, the 19th pick, and the 194 pick from the Eagles. Joining me now from Locked On Saints and Locked On NFL, Ross Jackson. And Ross, the most fundamental question here is if you're the Saints, three weeks before you even know who these draft picks can turn into. Why do you make this move? Oh, I love that question. Uh, This one's simple for me. The reason why you make this move three weeks ahead of the NFL draft is so that you end up being able to make these trades for, or, or at least with capital, without being in the bidding war of who's on the board while you're trying to make that move up, right? The NFL draft picks are at their absolute highest value on draft day. So this allows the New Orleans Saints to get ahead of that. They're not in the midst of any type of bidding war based upon who's on the board, particularly maybe a quarterback or maybe one of these top offensive tackles to really good trench uh, talent that's in this draft. Allows them to not be in that situation while they're trying to maximize the amount of talent that they can put around Jameis Winston and the rest of this New Orleans Saints offense. They've rebuilt the defense throughout free agency a bit. 
They could potentially add more to that if they sign Tyron Matthew. Just want to put that out there. But also now with the draft, they are in position early to be able to uh, find some immediate impact players to add to that offense. You mentioned offensive tackle. You mentioned quarterback. If you look at the traditional trade chart, 16 and 19 make you number five. And there is some speculation now that starting at six, the quarterbacks could start coming off the board. What are the chances that this was just one of potentially two blockbuster trades for the Saints to get in position to take their quarterback of the future? It's certainly possible. I personally think that that would be a waste of resources. The New Orleans Saints have their quarterback for 2022. And if they want to keep that quarterback around or solve their quarterback problem, probably investing in an unknown commodity, especially with this very, uh, let's just say, not so impressive quarterback class in this draft trading up into the top five in order to land one of those guys probably isn't the right way to do it. To me, maximize the talent on the offense by using pick 16 and 19 to make two starter type talent selections, either a wide receiver or offensive tackle, so that you end up maximizing what you can do in 2022. Make that 2023 first rounder that you gave up in order to convey it into a first rounder this year mean nothing by putting together a team that is able to push that pick all the way back to the back half of the draft. And you do that by building this offense. And I think that leveraging 16 and 19 to move up into the top five keeps you from being able to do that and flies in the face of what this trade means to me for the new Orleans Saints. Quarterback for this year. Of course you mean Taysom Hill. Uh, no, you, really, <laughs> you, you mean, you mean Jameis Winston, of course. Uh, so, okay. Now they have 16 and 19. Give me a couple names to keep an eye on for saints fans for guys, offensive tackle, receiver, mm-hmm. or maybe a dark horse pick that you think fits in that fits in that mold, maximizes value, and fits a need. Absolutely. So at 16, the Saints have strategically positioned themselves ahead of the Los Angeles Chargers, who pick at 17, which gives the Saints the opportunity to make sure that they land one of the offensive tackles, top four offensive tackles in this year's draft. I think Evan Neal and Ike Aquanu are going to be well off the board by the time that you get through the top 10, top 12. But names like Charles Cross and Trevor Penning are definitely ones to keep an eye out on. Trevor Penning in particular fits the prototype in the mold of a New Orleans Saints first round draft pick at that. Position over back at 19, the Saints can sit back, wait for a wide receiver. Any of the top five wideouts, including guys like uh, Drake London, as well as Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave, that exciting tandem out of OSU. But they already have had pre draft visits with Alabama's Jameis, uh, Jameis Williams, Jamison Williams. I'm going to mess it up with Jameis Winston all the time. And then they also have had a pre draft visit with Arkansas's Traylon Burks. So those are the names that I would watch at night at 16 and 19. Although don't rule out the potential of a small jump up. They have a nice trade partner with uh, the Minnesota Vikings at pick 12 that could allow them to move and even select one of those players and make sure that the Chargers don't get the opportunity to jump them. And finally, just over 14 months after Tiger Woods nearly lost his right leg in a serious car crash, he said that as of now, he plans to play in this week's Masters at Augusta National Golf Club, saying, quote, As of right now, I feel like I'm going to play as of right now. Woods said during a news conference Tuesday, I'm going to play nine more holes Wednesday. My recovery has been good. I've been very excited about how I've recovered each and every day, and that's been the challenge. Asked if he believes he can win the Masters this week, Woods said, I do. 
Thanks for making Locked On Today your first listen. For your second listen, download Locked On Bets. And if you're not jacked up after that Tiger Woods line, come on. All the gambling advice you need in about 20 minutes. Coming up Thursday, Tiger Woods is back. So at least until tomorrow, stay locked on today.